1857. How many of y'all remember back then, right? Uh, Josh and Scott and I uh, go out to eat uh, a couple times a month with Mike Hopkins, uh, former pastor over at uh, Simpson Creek, and he is always, you know, he's talk about Moses. He'd be like, I remember back when Moses, uh, you know, led the people of Israel out of uh, bondage. But so 1857, a long time ago, but that was nine years after the founding of Clarksburg Baptist Church. And that is when John Henry Hopkins of Pittsburgh wrote a song called We Three Kings. We sang that at the top. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We traverse afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. O star of wonder, star of light, star with royal beauty bright, Westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. You may remember this song being sung by three boys as they are dressed in robes and they're bringing gifts in a Christmas pageant or, or maybe a live nativity. And this song has a plodding memory uh, or melody. We three kings of Orient are, and you can almost picture the long journey of the kings. I've always liked this song because it's easy for a male voice to sing, but this song does take some liberties as we're going to talk about today. And so, sometimes art does that, and that's okay at times. They add in and fill in some blanks. because We don't know how many men actually came to visit Jesus. We have that number three because they brought three gifts, but it's more likely that there were much more than just three men. Also, the Bible actually never calls them kings. The Bible calls them wise men or, in the Greek, magi. And this song is based on two chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. If you want to turn there this morning, Matthew chapter 2, we'll look at these magi, these three wise men. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, you'll see a Bible there in the front, or you can also go to the notes app in uh, are the notes in our app, on the Clarksburg Baptist Church app. Verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship Another common misconception about these three men is that they arrived the night that Jesus was born. This is most likely not true. Many scholars believe that Jesus could have been anywhere from nine months to two years old when the wise men arrived. And this is based on verse 11 in this chapter, which says they were no longer in the stable, but they were now in a house. Also because of the time it would have taken to travel from the east, they weren't jumping on a bullet train. They were, you know, traveling slowly. And also that when Herod tried to kill baby Jesus, he ordered that all the children two years and younger be killed based on the timeline that the Magi gave him. So there are a lot of myths and rumors and writings about these wise men. People have even guessed their names uh, as Belthazar and Melchior and Caspar. But who does the Bible say these men were? Here's a mosaic uh, by the Byzantine Emperor Justinian of the Magi around 600 years after the birth of Christ. 
And verse 1 in Matthew chapter 2 tells us that they are from the east. And in that context, that would have most likely meant Persia or modern-day Iran. Regardless, contrary to popular depiction, they definitely were not white, right? So verse 1 told us that these were wise men. I got somebody clapping up there at the top. Uh, <laughs> verse 2 tells us that they were seeking the child that was born king of the Jews. Why? Because they had been watching for a star as the sign of this king being born. Well, where did they get all of this information? Well, in the Old Testament, the king of Persia had a special council known as the Magi. And as part of the Magi, they would have studied astronomy, astrology, religion, and science. And from time to time, they would be called upon to read the stars and interpret dreams in this pagan culture. Maybe you might remember someone else that was a special counsel to the king of Persia with the ability to interpret dreams. Anybody know? Daniel, that's right. The prophet Daniel. Now, prophet Daniel did it by God's power. See, 600 years earlier, Daniel, the exiled Hebrew boy, and the same one that ended up in the lion's den, was part of the Magi. In fact, he was chief of the Magi. And the book of Daniel calls them magicians. Get it? Magicians. Yeah, right there. Uh, that's the official pronunciation, if you want to say it that way from now on. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 22... Someone shows up to Daniel, and it's the angel Gabriel. Now, we also know that that's the same angel that would later appear to Mary. That angel came to Daniel, and the angel Gabriel uh, told Daniel, as he is exiled away from his own country that lied in ruins, he tells him that in the future, when the decree is given to rebuild Jerusalem, that 483 years after that decree, that the king of the Jews would come. So 600 years after Daniel, the Magi read this prophecy. This is how they knew to look for a star and that the king of the Jews was coming. And then they see the supernatural sign of the star in the sky, and they know that the time has come. They most likely would have searched the Old Testament scriptures for more signs about the coming king, and they found them. We see that in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It said that another sign will be that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and that they shall call his name Emmanuel. Again in the Old Testament, Micah 5.2 says, But you, Bethlehem, Euphrata, though you are small among the clans of Judah... Out of you will come for me one who is ruler of Israel. So not only did it uh, was the prophecy of the timeline to a T predicted, but also this tiny little town that's about the size of Clarksburg, 15,000 or something people of Bethlehem, maybe even smaller than that. It was predicted that this is where the king would be born from Bethlehem. In fact, the wise men even quoted Micah 5.2 here in Matthew chapter 2, uh, 2, verse 6. There was also another prophecy, even further back, the prophecy of Balaam, who was also a magi hundreds of years before the Messiah in the book of Numbers, way back there. He said this in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. 
Balaam says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And a scepter would be what a king would hold, right? So the Jewish people understood this prophecy was about the coming Messiah, the light of the world, the royal king of kings. And the Magi figured it out too. Matthew chapter 2 verse 9 goes on and says, Behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. You also notice there it says child and not baby. They fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and what's the last one? Murray. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, you remember they went to talk to Herod first, but then Herod had this you know, terrible genocide that he had planned for all the babies. So they didn't return to Herod because they were warned and they departed to their own country another way. So we see here this group of learned men whose former leader in the past was Daniel, the prophet, had been studying religion and the stars for hundreds of years. Now, most likely they would have started out as pagans, but they knew the Hebrew scriptures because the Israelites had lived among them for hundreds of years. And they figured out that these writings were important. And then they see this supernatural sign in the sky. We call it a star. That's what the Bible calls it. And they realize the sign of the Messiah that Daniel spoke about was here. So they park their camels and they load them up, horses, caravans, all that. And they ready the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then they travel 1,100 miles or so, slowly over the course of months and months. We three kings of Ori. You can feel it in the song. It feels like it, you know, the original way, it feels like it takes 1,100 miles to get there. Our band did a, a much better job. Like. But they did all this to come, fall before a child and worship. Oh, star of wonder, star of light, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. That's an incredible recount of this story. Can you imagine the faith that that took to step out on this thousand-mile journey by foot to find a child that you have never met in the hope that you can find him so that you could bring him expensive gifts? This wasn't easy. In a similar way, the Bible commends the faith of Abraham when he had obeyed God and stepped out on a trip when he didn't know the destination because God told him to. Well, these wise men kind of did the same thing. And I don't know if they started out as a follower of the one God, but I don't know how they could not be now. They didn't know the destination, but God moved them and they had the faith to step out knowing they wouldn't see the reason they stepped out for months. Imagine sitting by that fire, riding a camel all day, your back hurting every morning, getting up, loading up, breaking camp for months just so that you can get a chance to worship a baby named Jesus. 
and to lay down offerings that cost you something to recognize who he is this is what they did this is what they sacrificed and it was there you go that's good stuff right there someone just pulled it up on the phone but this is what they did this is all that it took for them to get there and it's hard for us sometimes on sunday morning to get out of bed amen come on that's me so what did they bring they brought gold that represents the royalty and kingship of jesus this song says it this way born a king of bethlehem plain gold i bring to crown him again king forever ceasing never over us all to reign they brought gold because of his kingship they brought frankincense which was incense used by the priests in the temple to signify jesus's priesthood and holiness the song says frankincense to offer i have incense owns a deity nigh prayer and praising voices raising worshiping god on high and lastly they brought myrrh which was used to prepare bodies for burial and this in any other scenario would have been a weird gift to bring right you're the mom there it's like man i really needed diapers but uh you brought me myrrh okay but this signified the reason for his coming to this earth to die for you and me myrrh is mine it's bitter perfume breathes a life of gathering gloom sorrow sighing bleeding dying sealed in the stone cold tomb kingship and priesthood and sacrifice the gifts had meaning they had purpose so here's the question for you today where is God asking you to step out by faith? Where is he calling you to lay down whatever you're doing to just worship him? Where does God want to take you, to lead you, to, to guide you? Do you have the faith to step out? Are you looking for God to ask you to step out? Or are you busy? Do you have too many things? Do you just have too much going on? If he did speak to you would you move what if he didn't give you all the details up front would you have the faith those of us that have been followers for jesus uh, of jesus for a while have probably stepped out before then we realized it wasn't easy we realized it would cost us something or we turned back at the first sign of difficulty or the first decent excuse that we could find maybe it just took too long to get there and you couldn't put your head down and keep stepping for months so you gave up you turned back you lost faith you made excuses you went back to being comfortable you bailed well these wise men didn't turn back why because they understood that christ was worth it and they understood that this was a big deal and because of that they got to be some of the first people in history to see the savior to bow down before him and to offer him something because he is worth it see what the what the uh, wise men did isn't the amazing thing it's the child that's the amazing thing jesus christ savior of the world and what they did though gets talked about every year thousands of years later little kids dress up like them with face beards and bath robes around them we have little statues of 
them that grace our end tables. These were important people back in Persia. But we don't know who they are. We just know that they stepped out and they made a trip and they knelt before the important one, Jesus. And they bowed their heads and they lived, uh, they gave their uh, time and they paused their life to give him worship. Over this holiday season, it's going to be so easy to just get filled with all the other stuff. What about Christ? What about giving him gifts of worship? And what area is God asking you to step out? Because we know that he does call us to do things. Where is God trying to lead you? Is it to serve him in a way that scares you? Now, maybe that means that you do something that you're uncomfortable with, or maybe it means that you serve in the background and you don't like that. Is it taking time to pause and kneel and bring him gifts of worship every day? Is it to have a gospel conversation with someone in your life? Is it to jump in in a ministry at CBC or even jump in a ministry in the community that's doing something great, like working at the missions or friend feeding friends and all these different opportunities we have to live out the gospel to people in our community? Maybe it's to give to something like above and beyond or to help a neighbor. Maybe it's to fly across the world and bring love and hope and Jesus to a dark world. Maybe it's to hand over a sin that you've been clinging on to, and that's your act of worship, that I'm going to give this thing up that's been eating me up from the inside out, and I can't fix it, so I'm going to give it to him. So many times when we step out into decisions like this, we might think that it's a quick trip, right? Sometimes I've had people come and talk to me and be like, man, I, I forgave that person, but it didn't work. It just didn't work. Forgiveness is an act every day until you actually reach that time. It's giving that over to God over and over. Or maybe it's a problem with addiction and you're like, man, I gave it up to God and it didn't work. It didn't take. It's not a quick trip. Sometimes it takes months and years to get from the place that you stepped out to the destination that God has for you. Maybe it's praying for somebody and, and you gave up on it a long time ago because you thought there was never going to be an answer and God just wants you to continually plod to come and worship Him. Might mean you head to seminary for years. Might mean just waiting for the right time and stop pushing and, the, and instead you're waiting for the opportunity to minister and let God go first and not getting bitter that other people are getting the opportunity and getting their shot. It might mean you save some money for months. It might mean uh, you even get up every morning committing just not to go back to the life that you had. Don't get discouraged in the middle. Life is all about the middle and Christian walk is all about the waiting. You see it all throughout the Old Testament. The whole thing is waiting for the Messiah. And now we're in that waiting again. He came once, but he's coming back again. And now we're in that middle, that waiting. So don't get discouraged. Don't use excuses. God is calling you to do some things, but they will only happen if you step out and give it to him. Not you making it happen. Not you pushing to make it happen. 
Glorious now, behold him arise, King and God and sacrifice. Alleluia, alleluia. Sounds through the earth and skies. Can't forget, it's also not about your sacrifice. It's not about the wise men. It's about the reason. It's about the person. It's about the Savior. Sometimes you have to do some risky things to get where God wants you to go. God's not trying to hurt us. He's trying to help us. He has plans for us. God's way is the best way every single time. My dad's here. Raise your hand, Dad. Right here on the front. The only person in the world that's shorter than me. And they said, aw. Oh, poor Al. My dad used to sing this verse, uh, this version of the song. I think we have it on the screen. And it went like this. We three kings of Orient are tried to smoke a rubber cigar. It was loaded, it exploded. Boom, over the yonder star, right? Y'all ever hear that version before? Yeah, good. See, God does ask us to step out on faith, and he also does ask us to risk and trust in him, but he is never, ever handing you an explosive rubber cigar, right? So that he can just watch something blow up in your face for his enjoyment. No, God has a good plan for you. He has a purpose that will bring him glory and make you look more like him. So trust him, whether that's stepping out or whether that's waiting, whether that's giving something to him or giving something over to him. God has a plan. And sometimes what you need to do is to jump and leap and step out and press on even when it looks like it's not working. There have been plenty of times that Tori and I have had to step out into the unknown with only the faith in the one that knows all. That might mean starting your own ministry effort so that you can find a place to use your gifts. It might take months. It might take years to see why God wanted you to step out. Don't be soft. Don't give up. There'll be plenty of chances for you to quit or to turn back or to get bitter or to get angry. Life's hard. But it's worth it to continually stepping towards him. You can trust that he will show you something special. They got to see the star. They got to see the Christ child. Star of wonder, star of light, star with Royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding. Guide us to thy perfect light. There's a common Christian cliche that says, wise men still seek him. Let's follow that. Let's step out. Maybe that stepping out actually means that you're stepping back and making sure that you're waiting for the sign. But maybe it means, hey, it's time to go. I've been preparing you for this. I've been making you ready for this. Give it to God. Commit to follow him even before he gives you all the details. And you will never be sorry. Let's bow our heads and and close our eyes. The band comes. God, I pray for each and every one of these people in this room right now. Every soul, every person, 
every eternal being that we are, God, that lasts longer than this physical world. I pray that you touch their hearts right now and begin to reveal to them what they need to do next. God, I pray you break the, the heart of stone, the cold heart. Those that are apathetic, that years ago they stepped out and they gave up. And they used to have a, a vibrant walk with you, and now they've long since grown tired. Life has a way, God, of tiring us out and exhausting us. God, I pray you light a new fire in their heart today. Fresh fire. God, help us to bring acts of worship to you because you are worth it. Messiah, the King of kings, Lord of lords, the only hope in the world. Emmanuel, God is with us. God, you are so good and so awesome. Pray for every heart, every soul, and every life that's represented in this room. That you call us out into our journey. Not to make ourselves known. Not to do some agenda, God, but to come and worship you with our lives. Because you are worth it. As we continue in this act of prayer, every Christian in the room dealing with what God has dealt with you about. Not thinking about the person next to you or the person that's not here, but drawing a circle around you and saying, God, what do I need to change? But I want to talk to you, maybe if you're in the room today, that you're not yet sure that you're a Christian. You're not yet sure you're a follower of Jesus. It's not about church attendance or giving a certain amount of money or helping old ladies across the street. All those things are good, but that's not what it's about. See, Jesus was more than a baby. God in the flesh. He lived a perfect life and a sin, sinless life for a reason. He preached God's word and he told them the time was finally here. They've been waiting for it. He did miracles to prove his authenticity and people followed him. And he crossed the religious elite was always the plan and they hung him on a cross that wasn't an accident the manger always led to the cross why because we have a problem called sin each of us sin every single one of us might have even sinned already today That sin drives a wedge between us and God. See, sin is anything we think, say, or do that breaks God's law. Sin hurts us, it hurts those around us, and it hurts our relationship with God. In fact, the Bible goes as far to say that the wages of our sin is death. And that death is a separation from God forever in a place called hell. That's, that's bad news. But the good news is this. God commended his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. God in the flesh, the only one that could take away our sin, died on the cross to cover our punishment and our debt so that you might come in relationship with the one that made you. And through his death, our sins are forgiven and made white as snow. And then Jesus on the third day rose again, bringing our salvation with him, breaking the chains of sin and death forever, being seen of hundreds of witnesses and then ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. That's called the gospel, the good news. Jesus in my place. I'm a sinner. I can't work my way to heaven. But Christ paid the debt already. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, an equal part of the Trinity, to take my punishment and my sin and to forgive it. Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You could do that today, once and for all, saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know there's a penalty for my sin. And I put my faith in what Jesus did on the cross to save me. Forgive me. I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to you. Words aren't important. It's not a magic prayer. It's not a poem or a pledge of allegiance. You can call out to him right now in this moment, understanding you're a sinner understanding you need a savior putting your faith in only what Jesus did if you made that choice today I want to challenge you to tell somebody Write it down on your connection card. I chose Jesus. I'd love to follow up with you. Maybe Pastor Scott, one of us, follow up. Talk to you about what that decision is. The greatest decision of all your life. To become a, a child of God. Dear Heavenly Father, as we continue to worship you, I pray that you are lifted up. God, call us with your Holy Spirit wherever you want us to go. Help us to say yes without seeing the destination. Help us to put it all in your hands, even when it doesn't make sense to us. God, I pray for anyone that may have accepted you today, God, that you would draw them so close to you, God, and change their life forever in this moment. Help them become disciples of Christ.